Hey, come on up here, Symphony, will you? So I wanted you guys just met Thomas. Uh, it was great having him, wasn't it? Yeah. Everybody? It's a blessing having Thomas here. And this is uh, really like his better half here. This is Symphony. All right, we agree? Thomas, you clapping? Look, he isn't clapping. I know. I know. Right? Did you clap for him? Okay, all right, you better. You better, boy. Boy, I wouldn't want to be on the other end. Hey, listen, here's what I wanted you to hear. So uh, Thomas and Symphony and I, we've been friends for a little while, and uh, real blessing uh, having him come up and lead. They're here for a reason, though. Why were you here in town this weekend, Symphony? Um, this weekend I graduated from Shenandoah University with my doctorate in occupational therapy. With her doctorate in occupational therapy. So how did you get a doctorate with three little kids and uh, a husband and all of life's changes and everything? You've been going through a lot the last couple of years. You're only 29, right? Yeah. Only when did you start school? I started when I was, ooh, I feel like I've been in school for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Shreveport, Bossier, Louisiana, um, and I had a double parent home, my mom and my dad, um, but it was a little shaky. We were on the lower income side, so it was kind of hard to manage life and stuff like that, but somehow we pulled through, and here I am today. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about, uh, how'd you meet uh, Thomas? Um, Thomas and I met, his mom was my middle school English teacher, <laughs> and so um, I went to his, his dad is a pastor. Um, and so we went to his mom. I love his mom so much. She was one of those brave souls who always invited her students to church. And so I took her up on it. And so when I went to church, I saw him singing and playing. And I said, yep, that's going to be my man one day. <laughs> and here we are almost eight years, well, 15 years um, together, but eight years married this July. So how did you meet the Lord? How did you become a Christian? Um, so, of course, you know, we, we get baptized when we're young. Mm -hmm. uh, so about seven or eight years old, I got baptized at Stonewall Missionary Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. But, of course, in college and high school, you uh, fall into the world of temptation mm -hmm. and um, kind of ventured off. And I got redirected to Jesus and um, kind of had to, too, because I had a husband who was really involved in ministry, so I had to get my life together, <laughs> and so um, I just reconnected my life with Lord about 2010, maybe, um, and here I am again, <laughs> a pastor wife, yeah. whoa. <laughs> that wasn't the plan. That was not the plan. I didn't know I was signing up for that part. So long ways from where you grew up to a doctor's degree, were you the first in your family? Yes, with, um, so my mom had an associate degree, but I am in the first in my immediate family to have a doctorate degree. Um, my cousin, which is my mom's uh, sister's daughter, she also has a doctorate, so she's like a bit of a role model. Um, and she's a college professor at a super, uh, what, I can't remember the name of it. It's private, it's well-known private university in Massachusetts. So um, she's teaching there, and I told her last night, she texted me and said, I'm so proud of you, cousin. And I said, thank you for your inspiration. Yeah. Um, so one day. Well, I, I think uh, you're pretty inspiring. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I thank you. Let's, let's pray, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you for Symphony. Thank you for Thomas. Thank you for their wonderful ministry. Thank you that they were kind enough that while they're up here, 
uh, to come in and lead worship and uh, share with us. So thank you, Lord. Put your blessing on this family. Guide them, lead them, Lord. And uh, may they serve you for many, many years to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Symphony. All right, listen. This is, uh, before I get started, I had a couple of things I wanted to tell you. We have uh, a meeting uh, for members right after the second service today. We'll talk about some of the details, what's going on in the church, the purchase of the building, and so on. And there was uh, uh, also wanted to tell you that on Sunday evenings from starting uh, the week after Labor Day, so June 4th, for the next five weeks, we're going to have a Bible study slash service, whatever, for families that want to come in. We're going to have a shorter service, but it'll be a time to start at 5. We'll have kids uh, program, uh, kids uh, service, uh, kids services, no, kids uh, daycare, whatever, Sunday school in the evening too. And uh, we're going to share with you, we're going to spend five weeks studying uh, biblical thinking uh, towards our emotions, like how to deal with it biblically uh, from God's word. So how we're facing all the things that you and I are facing out here and how we think right uh, from God's perspective. We're going to do that for five weeks. I'm going to lead that and we're doing it for families. A lot of you guys are busy. Kids and games, kids and sports, want to make sure you have a chance to come in and worship together and praise the Lord together before I think. Now, the other one I wanted to introduce you to is William. Now, many of you say, William, say hello back there. Now, you guys have met William probably in the parking lot, out back. He's uh, now running all of our parking, trying to make sure that we don't get in trouble with the neighbors, trying to keep everybody going so we can get our zoning through. All that is very important to have William, but he also helps us with maintenance and security and anything else you need. So just say hello to William. Make sure you say hello to him. Give him a hug when, uh, when you're leaving. All right? All right. So Christians, for us in the church, the guy helping in the parking lot is as important as the preacher. Amen? We're different. So we thank you, William. Thank you very much for all your help every week. Thank you. Uh, let's pray now. Get started. Lord Jesus, as we think about your wonderful compassion. We think about how great you are uh, and what you've done for us. Um, I pray, Lord Jesus, you would give us perspective so that as we sing the song we just sang, that we would mean it from our heart, that we would be able to take in this wonderful truth, that you are faithful, that you are good, that you're a compassionate Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, to persuade a poor, sinful soul that God in Jesus Christ loves him, delights in him, is well pleased with him, and has loving thoughts of kindness towards him is an inexpressible mercy. This is my goal today. Listen, let me read it to you again. Written in the 1600s by John Owen, one of the Puritans said this, to persuade a poor, sinful soul that God in Jesus Christ loves him, delights in him, is well pleased with him, and only has thoughts of kindness towards him is an inexpressible mercy. Now, this is really a continuation of last week's sermon from Nate. Go back and listen to it if you haven't, but he talked a lot about God's love and how we want to imitate God's love. We want to understand God's love. And so we're going to continue to focus on God's love, but today specifically on his compassionate um, feeling he has for his children, our compassionate God. Now, now I was a policeman for 29 years. Uh, I was a minister for some of that time too. And, uh, you know, cops are not known for compassion. 
that's not our, our thing. You would maybe think of a nurse or a doctor or a medic or somebody, a child care worker, but when I see the lights come up behind me, it is not compassion I'm expecting. <laughs> Amen? So for me as a pastor and a policeman, it is made for a weird combo. Sometimes they say, uh, how do you do that? As a matter of fact, the police sometimes say it's impossible. Sometimes the uh, church people say it's impossible. But here's the good news. Uh, when I was a policeman, I used to lock people up. And now as a pastor, I get to set people free. Amen? That's the truth of the gospel. And I'm going to set you free today because you as Christians who have known Christ, I think you got the wrong idea. I think you got the wrong idea about the God you love and the God who loves you. What I mean by that is this. If you have been in church very long, you have heard uh, 15 different things you need to do to prove you're really in love with God. You hear about you need to be a missionary. You hear about the need to be a, uh, a preacher. Maybe you hear about the need. You see these guys leading worship say, boy, I should be doing something like that. I'm just coming in here, take care of my kids. And then God forbid you sin. On top of already feeling like I'm not quite measuring up, then you yell at your kids too much, especially on the way to church. It's never happened to any family here, right? Never happened. Uh, I'm telling you, that hour between uh, when they wake up to get them to church, this is, this is unbelievable, isn't it? Amen. Does anybody, anybody, there are no mothers say, okay, thank you. I got one amen. Listen, the, the reality is it is hard in light of the way we are. Uh, as human as we are, to believe that a holy and a righteous God could feel compassion towards us. A.W. Tozer said this, Yet the grace of God is not any greater than the justice of God or the holiness of God. But for people like you and me, it is what we need most desperately. It is what we need most desperately. Now, first of all, I'm just going to give you a short sermon on this because it's so deep and so wonderful. It requires time for you to go and study this, to think about it, to reorder your thinking. Remember, the scriptures say that what happens to us as believers is he renews our mind. He transforms us. The problem is you bring all of your old guilt, all of your old sin, all of your old realization of how sinful you are to the cross. It is very hard to reorder the thinking, not just about how sinful you were, but once you've arrived at that, it is too hard to believe that one could forgive me like that. You see what I mean? The more aware you are, listen to this, the closer, this is what happens. Uh, brother told uh, the story one time of taking his kids down the Grand Canyon, and he would watch the um, sunset, uh, and little by little, uh, more and more of the light would go away as the sun would set. And then in the morning, they went back real early, and they saw it just open up little by little. Here's what happens to us in the Christian life. The longer you walk with God, the more he allows you to see or you begin to realize how sinful you really are. When you first came to Christ, you said, well, pretty good guy. What? And then the more you know about God's word, the more you know about his holiness, you say, golly, what in the world? And as that happens, Satan wants to take your joy in the middle of it. But instead, what should happen is we should reorder our mind. And every time we see how sinful we are, we'll be more in love with Christ because we realize how much we're loved. You see the difference? If I deserve this thing, then what's the big deal? But if I am in, uh, uh, if I am not deserving, if I am actually running this way and he pulls me that way, now that's a great story. 
I love reading about compassion. I love reading about kindness. I love reading about it when the person who extends the kindness shouldn't even give it. There's a great, the most famous, iconic police picture ever. You've probably seen it. it was Norman Rockwell. There was a, a D.C. police officer leaning down at a parade to a little boy, and he's talking to this little boy. Now, that picture, that guy ended up being chief of police later, but that picture is so great because, again, we don't see police in that way, and here they are with this little boy. Yesterday, there was a, uh, the Orioles and the Blue Jays played, and, of course, the Orioles won. Uh, oh, by the way, all Christians are Baltimore Orioles fans. You do know that, right? You signed on for that, and you've been delivered from the Dallas Cowboys and the Yankees and all those other evil things. All right, so look. The Orioles are playing up the Blue Jays. They're, they're playing there. And, and one of the Blue Jays stars, a guy named Vladimir Guerrero, and he saw a sign uh, of a little boy uh, had, had just gotten over cancer. And so here's this big star, millions of dollars, home run star. And he took time to go to that little boy and, and show he loved him and said hello and all those things. When I see those, I love those stories of compassion, don't you? I love those stories of compassion. Brothers and sisters, we are a story of that kind of compassion. It's every day that we experience the compassion of God. So please, I would think it would be terrible of that little boy to not want uh, Vladimir Guerrero's kindness or not appreciate it in the same way today. We're going to get to appreciate the compassion of God. Number one, we're going to talk about the origin of his compassion. In the Bible, the biblical origin of his compassion. You remember the Red Sea, Ten Commandments, you remember? Uh, they crossed the Red Sea, one of the greatest miracles ever in human history. It is talked about throughout the Bible over and over and over again. The Red Sea, they, they cross there. Uh, Moses goes up onto the mountain, Mount Sinai, gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down, and in fact, the people, the people had, it's just an amazing story. The people had not only just formed a calf uh, in an idol worship, but they had actually said to the idol, you're the one who got us out of Egypt. You're the one who got us out of the Red Sea. Boy, I tell you what, I wouldn't have anything, I would have no compassion for that. Can you imagine? I mean, one thing for me to do something good for you, but to do the most incredible thing for you, and then for you to thank something that you just made. How horrific this sin. They deserve justice, but instead we find compassion. Let me show you what I mean. Exodus 34, 6 is the next trip Moses makes up the mountain. Moses goes up the mountain. He meets with God again to get the second set, the final set of the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there, God, for the first time in the Bible, quotes or tells Moses who he is. Here's what he says. It's Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. It is the most quoted or requoted scripture throughout the, uh, throughout the Bible. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, wait, wait, wait. in light of what they had just done, the first adjective he chose to use to describe himself was compassion. Compassion. The compassionate God. So that's the origin of his compassion scripture. We begin to face and see a little bit of his compassion, taste it and understand it. And then as we see, secondly, the object of his compassion. That's where it started, the origin. Now it's the object. Who is the object? Is it the created world? It should be. I mean, look at all he's done. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it amazing the universe? Isn't it amazing the sea? Um, maybe it's little children. Uh, that is very moving. Maybe it's those who, uh, little babies who can't speak yet. No, the object of God's compassion is rebellious, sinful people that repent and turn to him. Let me show you it. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14 to 16. 
uh, God in trying to describe or explain himself in a way they can understand. God explains to the Jewish people what he's really like. Now, the Jewish people had felt like he had forgotten them. Now, I bet you they're not alone. I don't know about you, but I feel like he's forgotten me sometimes. Sometimes I've never seen God. You understand that? I've never um, had him stand here and tell me something. I've not... So it is normal, it is natural that in my sinful uh, state that I have trouble with that sometimes and I feel forgotten. I feel like what's going on in my family or what's going on in the world, I say, whoa, have you forgotten me? And so this is where the Jewish people are. And this is what God answers. The Lord has forsaken me. This is what Israel says. My Lord has forgotten me. And then in verse 15, God's answer is this. Can a woman forget her nursing child? that she have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these, even moms may forget, yet I'll not forget you. Behold, I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Let me give you a picture here. He says, let me explain to you. If I were to say to you, uh, I care about you. Let's imagine Nate, I I love Nate. and, And let's say that I would have said, Nate, you, to me, are like a little baby I'm holding in my arms. You say, you're getting a little bit far, aren't you, Dale? Uh, you don't need to go quite that far. But that's how extraordinary it would be for me to say that. You would say, wow, you're serious, man. You must really try to get across to him how you feel about him. Well, here's God's picture. God Almighty, holy God of the universe. He says, let me give you a picture of how I feel about you. He says, let me tell you, a mother holds the baby... Eight inches from her face. She looks into those eyes, and his life, the baby's life, is sustained by the life of the mother. Brothers and sisters, couldn't we spend about the rest of our life just thinking about this picture of the Lord Jesus seeing me and you in this way? I, his compassion is unbelievable. And then get this, the next comparison he gives is I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. What does that mean? Well, uh, in those days, slavery was a big deal. And so what they would say is they would put the name of the slave owner on the slave. So uh, I would have the slave owner's name on me if I was a slave. Imagine this. A slave owner who says, no, in this case, I'm putting your name on my hand. That's what God was saying. He was trying to illustrate for us in, in two illustrations he was trying to give us. The object of his compassion is you. The object of his compassion is the people of God. The third thing we see is the validation of his compassion. The validation of his compassion. John 1, 14 to 17. How does God validate? How does God prove? What is the evidence that he has compassion? Well, guess what he did? He didn't wait for you to come up the mountain. He came down the mountain to you. In the person of Jesus Christ, he is the evidence, the validation, the proof that God is compassionate. And the word became flesh. And lived among us. And he actually saw his glory. Glory as belongs to the only begotten son of the father. Full of grace and truth. The law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When Jesus is partway through his ministry. um, Just starting. uh, John the Baptist gets arrested. Uh, His followers want to send a message to John in prison. And Jesus says, tell John this. Go and tell John. What you see and hear. The blind are made to see. Those who could not walk are walking. Those who have had bad skin diseases are healed. 
Those who could not hear are hearing. The dead are raised up to life, and the good news is preached to the poor. This is the evidence that God is here. Just understand this. John MacArthur makes a good point. He explains that God, Jesus, when God arrived here in the person of Jesus, he could have done creation miracles. He could have put uh, an ocean right in the middle of Jerusalem. He could have made a mountain, a new mountain out of something. He could have stood up and flown around. He could have done any of those things. He was God. He'd already done it. But instead, he chose to display himself to human beings in compassion miracles. Miracle after miracle after miracle to touch the need and the heart and the pain of human beings. That is how the God of the universe desired to present himself to us. There's one story I really like in Luke chapter 7, verse 13. This widow has lost her son. And to picture this, what this meant was uh, her life was, um, for all intents and purposes, over. There was no way to make any living. There would be nobody to take care of her in old age. There was no one to pay the bills or to eat. This was a, a massive deal, not only just the loss of her son, plus the emotional pain of losing her son. And when the Lord saw her, he enters the town of Nain and he sees this, this funeral procession coming and they're carrying the coffin of this boy. They're carrying it in. He's watching the procession. In the back of the procession, he sees the mom. And the mom is weeping and the Bible says this, when he saw her, he had compassion on her. Same thing he told the Jews back in Exodus 34, remember? That's the exact same thing. The idea deeply moved. He suffered with her. He stood in that line. He stood watching that line and he felt what she felt. That's what the Lord Jesus did. And he felt what she felt, and here's what happened. He said to her, do not weep. Then he came up, and he touched the casket, and the bearers stood still. I imagine they did. Found the pallbearer, and God Almighty comes up to touch the, the, I can only imagine I would pause. And here's what happens. And he said, and he, he raised that boy from the dead, and then Jesus, it says, gave him to his mother. See, it isn't just enough that he healed him. It isn't just enough that he saved him. It isn't just enough that he gave him new life. He actually gave him to his mother. Can you imagine that moment? This is the compassion of Jesus. This is who it is you serve. This is the one you are trying to honor. This is the one you're trying to please. This is the one you're reading about in your daily devotions. This is the one who's riding with you to work and in your meetings with you. This is the one who's helping you figure out what to do next. The compassionate Jesus. Finally, let me close with this. The first adjective God uses to describe himself is compassion. God listens to the cries of his people no matter what their moral state is at the time they cry out. This is illustrated over and over again in the, in the Old Testament specifically. Do you know that the mercy of God is described four times, is mentioned four times as much in the Old Testament as in the New? Because it is story after story after story of how the people of God depart from him, wander from him, uh, rebel against him, uh, serve other gods, and yet when they cry out to him, he always hears one theologian says in the Bible project says God continually has compassion for them when they cry out to him the moral quality of the people doesn't seem to matter God always listens when people cry out to him this is an amazing characteristic of God to depend on brothers and sisters get this that we can know what his disposition is when we cry out to him 
See, I never know with other people. I pick up the phone, I'm going to ask for a favor. I'm not sure if they're really wanting me to ask for this favor. Uh, when I ask my boss, can I get a day off? When I ask my wife, can I have permission to do something? Whenever I'm doing this, I got to depend on, I don't know what their disposition is at the time they answer the phone. We can know what God's disposition is. Best thing I can give you is police story here is this idea. One thing I learned real quick is that um, when you're a policeman, uh, you get this one huge preferential treatment, and that is that if I key the mic on the radio and I say, officer in trouble, policemen will come from everywhere. I mean policemen will come from everywhere. They'll come from other jurisdictions. They'll come from other agencies. Doesn't matter. Once a policeman says he's in trouble, I was a new policeman. I was working off duty on New Year's Eve. Thought it'd be an easy deal. I did it at a little bar because I was used to working in the really tough neighborhoods of the city. This was just a nice area over here in Georgetown. And I'm working there. All I had to do was just make sure there were no problems. Some college kid had fallen asleep drunk on the bar. I walk up to the kid, and I'm, you know, a pretty tough guy. Now, I'm 40 pounds lighter than I am now, uh, which is, I know, hard to imagine, but uh, all muscle, of course, every inch of it muscle, steel, really, uh, very close to Clint Eastwood, if you can picture it, and uh, the rock maybe is a better. So I tap on this guy's shoulder, and I think, hey, Big tough policeman from the ghetto. Well, I'm going to get him out. Of here. So I take him, I tap him, and this little college kid picks me up and throws me across the bar. Well, that wasn't the idea. That wasn't how it was supposed to go at all. And now the only problem was I didn't have a radio. Of course, no cell phones. Um, uh, I'm there on the ground in there, and this guy's coming at me again. So I look to the security people, the volunteer, whatever they were, security for the hotel, and I say, hey, call the police. Call the police and tell them. Tell them that, that an officer is here in trouble. Now, this is the picture. I knew that when the police got there, I wasn't going to get thrown all over the bar anymore. I was going to get 40, 10, 5, whatever I needed was going to be there, whatever it took to solve my problem, if I could just get the word to the right people. Brothers and sisters, you have the ability to go to God. You have this magic ability because you can go to God and you can say, officer in trouble. You can say, I'm in trouble. And he will always hear the cry of his people. He will never hesitate to come. No matter what you've done or where you've been, this is the compassionate God. Remember the picture of the mom with the baby that he gave? Think of all the things that go there. Like one, the way a mom hears the cry of her child like nobody else. It's amazing. It's miraculous. She may not always want to hear the cries of her child, but she'll know it, and she always listens. The psalmist says this in Psalm 18.6, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple. My cry came before him, even into his ears. Brothers and sisters, you're no different than the psalmist. Desperation equals a compassionate God. You know what gets the cops there when a policeman is when a policeman's desperate. When a policeman's really desperate, really in real trouble. And brothers and sisters, I might suggest to you, instead of spending your time worried about this world, uh, mad about the politics, mad about the moral condition of even our nation, mad about what's going on, maybe you ought to be in desperation and just saying, wait a second here, I can call on God. 
I'm not going to get any other answers. And I can remember that he never left the throne. Do you think that it's really a time in this day and age? You don't know what it's like? Yes, I do. It's like now. Now it's time to despair. All Christians everywhere should be moping around and complaining. Is that what the scriptures have told us? Have they said there is coming a time when all Christians would be depressed and angry? I don't believe so. As a matter of fact, we know about a compassionate God. So when we see the immorality of people, when we see the pain of those around us, when we see that, we are moved by the same compassion that God has showed us. Listen, brothers and sisters, understand this. Every day, every person on this planet who survives a day is interacting with the compassion of God. 20,000 times a day you breathe. All those breaths come from one person. Every breath. You ever get your breath knocked out of you? You ever get hit? Just one breath, you notice, oh boy, I need God. You're desperate for God. Brothers and sisters, this is a world that is receiving some of the compassion of God, but aren't we the people that want to show this world the compassion of our compassionate God? And we get there by being desperate before him. Let's pray together. Jesus as we think about you, as we meditate on you, as we sing about your goodness. May you hear our cries. Will you help us, Lord, to get humble enough, to get desperate enough that we cry out to our God. I thank you, Lord Jesus. You are compassionate. May we know this about you. May we be released from feeling guilty for all the things we're not not doing that we think we might have to. Lord, all the mothers in here are not doing all they should do. All the husbands in here are not being the fathers and the um, doing all the things that they've read in every book and every Christian radio show and everything else has said. And everybody is ready to give them advice on how to do it better. After all the Christians are all the good advice and everything, Lord Jesus, we can just get overwhelmed with all of it. But Lord Jesus, I pray instead that we would remember that you are pleased with your children, that you do love us, that you are compassionate to us. We need only to cry to you, to interact, to activate, to engage with that compassion. We pray, Lord Jesus, this will happen across our service, across this church. Across the families that are gathered here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.